I, I want to focus on something today which, you know, is not always associated with, with Palm Sunday. I don't know about you, but when I was a kid growing up, I used to go to the local Anglican church and often us kids in Sunday school would make these little palm crosses as an activity and we'd use them as a bit of a, um, uh, a bookmark in our, in, our, in our prayer books. And uh, some, some churches, the bigger churches, they you know, fill the place with palm leaves. We've got a few palm leaves here thanks to Tamara. And, uh, you know, some of the biggest churches, they'd even have a donkey, a real donkey, and that was quite an attraction. There's all this focus on the triumphal entry of Jesus into Jerusalem. And it was almost as if that was the only time he ever visited Jerusalem, but he was in Jerusalem often. And he often actually preached in the synagogue in Jerusalem as well. But, you know... I, I, there's, a, there's actually a new book out called The Crucifixion of, I think it's called The Crucifixion of Jesus. I actually ordered it, it hasn't arrived yet, which is a bit of a shame because I wanted to use it to preach from. But it's a, a very detailed historical study of, if you like, the last days of Jesus. And, and this miracle by which Jesus rose Lazarus from the dead is actually pivotal in this story. And explains why it is that Jesus was able to make that triumphal entry into Jerusalem. Now, Lazarus was real. Um, applying the same standards that we apply to normal history. He was a real person. He had two sisters, Mary and Martha, and of course they feature in the Bible. Lazarus died at about age 30. He was sick. We don't know what kind of sickness it was, but we know he was sick because his sisters informed Jesus that he was sick. Jesus didn't turn up for four days. And in the meantime, Lazarus died and was buried. Historical records indicate that he actually left uh, Bethany after he, he was raised from the dead. You see, of course, the, the religious leaders wanted to kill Jesus and Lazarus. They wanted to kill them both because it was inconvenient for them to have Jesus on the scene. And it's a very interesting thing because nobody denied that miracle. There were other miracles where the religious leaders tried to explain it away. The healing of the deaf man, he wasn't really deaf and all that kind of thing. But nobody contradicted the resurrection of Lazarus. So the religious leaders had a problem and they were going to deal with the problem by killing them both. Lazarus escaped and probably Mary and Martha with him. They went to Cyprus. And uh, his bones were discovered in about 890 AD. And most of them were, were removed from the church where he was buried in Cyprus and taken to Constantinople. But some were left behind and they were, they were rediscovered in 1972 when the, when the church over the, the grave uh, had caught fire and it had to be rebuilt and they were doing excavations and they found a sarcophagus and, and in it were what we honestly believe are the remaining bones of Lazarus. 
he was probably about 60 years of age when he died. So he was a real historical figure, applying the same standards that we apply to any kind of historical inquiry. It's almost certain that he was in fact raised from the dead, right? This is just applying historical um, techniques. And he lived another 30 years in Cyprus. We're pretty sure that his bones are still there, or some of his bones are still there. The ones that went to Constantinople have, have disappeared. So we can be pretty confident that this is not just a kind of mythological story. It's something that actually happened. Now, in, in, in understanding what's written in this new book, which I haven't yet read, but I, I've, I've um, listened to interviews with the author, and then reading through all of these last day stories again, I've come to the conclusion that Jesus was actually doing something that was political. Now, it wasn't against the Romans, but it was against the religious leaders. You see, the raising of Lazarus would have happened at the beginning of 33 AD. Um, as, as you know, uh, the Jews didn't use the Roman calendar, which is the one we use, right? That's got the 12 months in it that start from the 1st of January and so on. So it's a little bit hard to kind of equate the Roman calendar back to the Jewish calendar. But as, as best as we can tell... Lazarus was raised from the dead early in the year 33 AD. So Jesus would have been in his late 30s. He would have been 37 or 38, not, not 33, because he was born in around 4 BC. Um, so he's in his late 30s, and he does this amazing miracle. We can just go to the next slide. But uh, uh, it is important to look at this. There's a, there's a number of really important features about this miracle. It came on, on the heels of two other miracles. There were two other occasions where it's recorded, by the way, I'm sorry for the font. Long story, technical issue, didn't have time to fix it. We won't get into that because it makes me cranky. <laughs> <laughs> Technology makes everybody cranky, doesn't it? Anyway, um, but he, he'd raised the daughter of Jairus. Remember, Jairus was a leader in the synagogue and, and, and he had faith in Jesus. And Jesus raised his daughter, but she'd only just died. I've got all the Bible references there for those who want to check it up. She'd only just died. But a bit later on, he, he raises the son of the widow of Nain. Now, he was on his way to be buried, so he'd been dead a bit longer. We get to Lazarus. He'd been already laid to rest in a tomb. He was there four days, and it was Martha, remember, who said, Whoa! He'll stink by now. I think uh, the New King James says, there'll be a stench. <laughs> yep. Um, they didn't have the same techniques that we have today, so you can preserve a body for a bit longer. Um, I, you know, I saw my dad laid out in his coffin um, earlier this year after he died. Um, that was about three or four days after he died. There was no stench. You know, because of all the chemicals and so on that they used to, to um, stop the body from decaying. Uh, but back then, basically, they anointed the body uh, with fragrant oils and then they wrapped them up in cloth and usually stuck them on a stone inside a tomb. So he'd been dead four days. So if you like, this was the, the resurrection of resurrections. He hadn't just died. 
He wasn't on his way to be buried. He'd been buried and he was buried for four days. Now there's another important thing about this miracle. It was done publicly. The first two words, in fact, most, most of the miracles, after Jesus had performed them, most of the time he said, don't tell anybody about this. People still did, but he said, oh, don't tell anybody about it. But this one was public. There was a crowd. You know, I think there, there was a shift here in the ministry of Jesus because he's getting very near to the end of his life and he's now taking it up to the religious leaders saying, see, I am the Son of God. I am who I say I am. I do have the power to raise people from the dead. And you see, this elicited two reactions in people. Some of them said, wow, he is the Son of God. He is the Messiah. He is this one in the line of David. Others, the religious leaders, didn't deny that, but they were offended by it. And I suspect what offended them most was the risk to their own status and power. Jesus said, I came to fulfill the law and the prophets. What role was there for the chief priests and all the scribes and, and all the Pharisees and all the lawyers? See? And importantly, they would have lost their economic base. Once they lost that religious leadership, they lost their economic base because they added a temple tax, which we'll talk about momentarily. They had another system. Not only were the poor people tithing, but they had to pay a temple tax as well. So these were all the rich dudes. A quarter of the Jewish population lived below starvation level and the reason why labourers were paid daily was they were only paid enough for subsistence. They were very, very poor. These religious leaders were very rich. They couldn't deny the raising of Lazarus from the dead because it was a public miracle. So they decided get rid of him. They decided to get rid of him. That's why Lazarus matters so much. So he was raised from the dead probably about four months before Jesus was crucified. Let's move on to the critical last days. I won't finish this. We'll, we'll, we'll go through the rest of these last days at our Good Friday service. But there's a number of things that happen. So we're now talking about 10 days or so before Jesus is crucified on the Wednesday. Some people say this was about the 1st of April. Jesus had been uh, in Jericho. That's where he had dinner with the tax collector, Zacharias, the the tax collector, he was a rich dude too. On the way there, that was where he healed another blind joker. 
So he's doing these miracles. He was um, teaching people that God doesn't favour the rich or the poor. Right? He'll deal with anybody. On the Wednesday near sunset, Jesus arrives back at the house of Lazarus, Mary and Martha. About a 27 kilometre walk. Apparently he did it all in a day, so he must have been reasonably fit. This is the occasion when after supper, Mary anoints his feet with precious, precious and expensive oil. Judas complains. Now Judas was, he was like the treasurer. He looked after the money in Jesus' entourage. A lot of people say, you know, he said, look, you could have sold that and given the money to the poor. The idea of giving money to the poor was probably far from his heart. He was thinking about how much he could steal because it turns out he was a thief. So he's probably only thinking about lining his own pocket. Nevertheless, this was a prophetic act pointing to the death of Jesus. The next day on the Thursday, early in the morning, Jesus with his disciples walks to Bethphage on the Mount of Olives. It's a distance of about a kilometre. It's not that far. And it's a bit under a kilometre from there uh, to the temple in Jerusalem. And that, that was what was called a, a Sabbath day's um, journey. Because there was a limit on how far you could walk. Remember? This was all legalistic. On the Sabbath, you were only allowed to walk a certain distance. Any further than that was work, and work was prohibited. So he goes to Bethphage in preparation for going into Jerusalem. This is the occasion on which he, he mounts the colt and goes into Jerusalem. And as we saw in that skit guy's um, video, the, the colt, the foal of a, of a donkey, that represents peace. If a rider was on a horse, that represented conquest or war. The donkey represented peace. The palm frond and the clothing placed on the road in front of Jesus, that actually represented victory. So the message of Jesus is victory through, through peace. And the, 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 the road for this, this it was about um, 900 metres, bit under a, about 900 metres it would have been from Bethphage to, uh, to Jerusalem. So that, that roadway is just lined with people adoring Jesus. Most likely because the, the raising of Lazarus from the dead was still fresh in their minds. Many of those in the crowd, they would have been in the same crowd that saw Lazarus raised from the dead. And remember, this miracle is a public miracle. And the word of this miracle spread throughout Israel. This was the people who had been persuaded by the evidence that Jesus was indeed who he said he was. The religious leaders didn't like it. The Pharisees asked him 
to keep the crowd quiet. And what did he say? If they don't praise me, the stones will. That was incendiary to the religious leaders because it did not suit them politically to acknowledge that Jesus was Lord, that he was the Messiah prophesied in Scripture because it upset their system. So they say, keep them quiet. I can't because if I do, the very rocks will cry out. As he nears Jerusalem, he weeps. He wept over Lazarus. He wept over Jerusalem. And he wept over Jerusalem because the city did not accept him. And he knows it will soon be destroyed. Less than 40 years later, it was literally, physically destroyed. Everything. He goes to the temple. Basically, he just goes there and looks around. And then he returns to Bethany. On the Friday, that's on the next slide, on the Friday, he travels back to Jerusalem. He's hungry, he sees a fig tree. Remember, he goes to the fig tree, it's in leaf, it has no fruit, and he curses it. Never again shall anyone eat from you, he says. Then he arrives at the temple. Now, he'd been at the temple before. He'd looked around, he'd seen what was going on. Right, we're sort of preparing for the Passover and under the law people had to um, poor people in particular they used doves in their sacrifice because they were cheaper than, than, um, than lambs or, or than goats and, and, and um, cattle as well and what Jesus observed, he observed two things the money changers they were ripping people off you, you know how you feel when you have to pay a big commission on foreign currency, right? You want to go to the United States, so you want to get US dollars. You don't like paying that commission too much, do you? Well, that was what was going on here. They were charging an exorbitant commission because the religious authorities insisted the temple tax... You know, the temple tax wasn't a tax imposed by God. It was imposed by the religious leaders that had to be paid in shekels. I think it was half a half shekel. Right? Now, the shekel itself wasn't in general uh, use as a currency, so most people would have Roman coins or, or some other coinage, and they had to exchange it for shekels in order to pay the temple tax. And the exchange rate was exorbitant. It lined the pockets of these money changers and made them rich at the expense of people who were already poor. The same thing with those who were selling doves. If you go back and have a look in the books of the law, you'll see that the rich people, they had to sacrifice um, cattle or goats, sheep, but there was relief for the poor people. They could instead sacrifice a dove, which was going to cost a lot less. But the people who were selling the doves were making an exorbitant profit. That's why Jesus got so angry he overturns the tables of the money changers. Remember, he made a whip and he drove them out. Because they were perverting a practice that was meant to bring people close to God. They were making it 
harder for people to get close to God, to come and worship in the temple. Again, that's incendiary to the religious leaders because it undermines their economic base. It undermines their power. He returns to Bethany after this on Sunday. That must have been a tough day. Sunday. While Jesus and his disciples are travelling back to Jerusalem, they notice the withered fig tree. And, and Jesus then uh, uses that to explain something to them about Israel. That Israel had the opportunity to, to be fruitful. It had rejected that opportunity. And so now it was being rejected by God. But not forever. Yet that's another story that we don't have time to go into at the moment. As uh, Jesus was going to Jerusalem, some Hellenist, that is Greek Jews, asked to see Jesus. And when he hears this, this is when he makes that statement about his time has come to be glorified. He asks God to glorify his name, that is God's name. A voice thunders from heaven saying that God has and will glorify his name. And Jesus then says, Now is the judgment of the world and the judgment of Satan, who is the prince of this world, and it will be Satan who is cast out. And that, of course, happened with his crucifixion. Let's move on quickly. I'm turning out to be a liar because it's two minutes past 11. That's all right. I'm an economist. That was just an economist prediction, all right? They're always wrong. Sunday, at the temple, the religious leaders confront Jesus and challenge his authority for the last time. I didn't realise this until I did some research on it, but this was not just a five-minute conversation. It went from morning until late afternoon. Probably five, six hours, something like that. Basically an interrogation. After this, Jesus goes to the Mount of Olives where he prophesies about his second coming. At about the same time, the Sanhedrin, which is made up of all of the religious leaders, the Pharisees, the scribes, the priests, headed by Caiaphas, of course, the, the high priest. This is when they plot to kill Jesus by what they call trickery. Meanwhile, as Jesus is eating, a woman, I, I believe he's gone to Simon the leper's house back in Bethany. He doesn't go back to the house of Lazarus. He goes to Simon's house this time. As he's eating, a woman anoints his head with expensive oil. Now, some people say that she was a prostitute, a, a, a different Mary, to the sister of Lazarus. In all likelihood, it was actually Mary, the sister of Lazarus. Uh, the idea that it was a prostitute actually came from an early pope who almost certainly got it wrong because he just said that. He didn't have any historical evidence <laughs> to back up what he said. That was in about 600. I think that was Gregory, Pope Gregory the Great, I think. Anyway, so the Sanhedrin are meeting at about the same time in the palace of Caiaphas. Uh, Mary, most likely the sister of Lazarus, again, right, she was the one who who uh, anointed his feet, now she anoints his head. Again, a prophetic act. Some of the disciples were offended, again because of the expense of the anointing oils, but Jesus gently chides them, saying, the woman 
was anointing him for burial, another prophetic act. On Monday, this is the day when Jesus agrees to betray Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. A piece of silver was basically a day's wage, so for about five weeks' wages, Judas Iscariot was prepared to betray Jesus. Now, one final thing I want to say. This is what Jesus said about himself. Do you suppose that I came to give peace on earth? I tell you, not at all, but rather division. For from now on, five in one house will be divided, three against two and two against three. Father will be divided against son and son against father, mother against daughter and daughter against mother, mother-in-law against her daughter-in-law and daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. Guess what? Jesus is divisive. See, after that miracle, raising Lazarus from the dead, that was public, it was also divisive because it caused people to choose. I believe him, I follow him, or I don't believe him, or it's inconvenient to follow him. And you know what? We see exactly this going on. We see it in our own families. Right? I have people in my family who ridicule Jeanette and me because we're Christians, because they don't receive the message. Uh, Jeanette's broader family is the same thing. And it can be hard sometimes when, when your closest uh, relatives ridicule your faith. But you see, this is what happens. And it was why he was killed. You know, the death of Jesus was actually a political murder. It was a political murder. I doubt even that the primary motivation for killing him was that they didn't believe he was the Messiah. They had all the evidence. They probably didn't want to admit it. But what they couldn't handle was the fact that if they acknowledged that Jesus was the Son of God, that he was the Messiah promised through the prophets, then their whole power base, their economic base would crumble. They'd no longer have any hold over the people because Jesus came with the message of grace, the message of the goodness of God, not accessed through anything that we do or by anything that we think or say, but accessed through Jesus himself. I cried too when I heard Joseph Prince on grace. Remember, Matt shared that that was the first time he heard that message. I was watching a Kenneth Copeland, I believe his Voice of Victory episode there one day and Joseph Prince was the, the guest and Kenneth Copeland asked him, tell us about the message of grace. And I cried. I cried. That was the message that Jesus had. The message of grace. But even today, it divides. It divides. Do you suppose that I came to give peace on earth? I tell you, not at all. But rather divide. I'm sure that that's not his will, but that's just what happened. 
the raising of Lazarus is celebrated by the Eastern Orthodox Church, usually on the Saturday before Palm Sunday, although it would have taken place a long time before Palm Sunday. They, um, they call it Lazarus Saturday or the Saturday of Lazarus. And uh, just as another aside in that little video from the skit guys, they, you remember how he was saying Palm Sunday, you lift up your palms. And uh, he said you should call, if, it, if it's palm branches, you call, should call it branch Sunday. Well, the Orthodox Church actually does usually call it branch Sunday because it's basically Northern Hemisphere based and palm trees don't grow there. So they use pussy willow, the branches from the pussy willow instead. And if you read the newsletter, you will see I've, I've had a little bit to say about that in the newsletter and I won't take up time to do that now. Um, thanks, uh, Matt, for your, your, your call to salvation. Um, you know, as I said before, that might not be relevant to us because we've already given our hearts to Jesus, but don't forget, revival is coming. Revival is coming. And we need to be able to present that message in a way that people can understand. And it's a very simple message. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will experience salvation.